and welcome to the New Mexico Autism Project podcast for educators. These podcasts, as well as our online training series, have been developed by the University of New Mexico Center for Development and Disability in collaboration with the New Mexico Public Education Department as a resource for educators who would like to learn more about evidence-based practices for working with students diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder. We hope that you enjoy this series, and if you have any questions about these resources or how we may support your school district through the NMPED Autism Project, please contact me, Patrick Blevins, at the email address shown on the slide, or call the UNM CDD at 505-272-3000. Welcome to this uh, podcast about preference assessments, sponsored by the New Mexico Public Education Department and presented by the school team at the Center for Development and Disability. I hope that you have, uh, you have or you will access the podcast about reinforcement because uh, in order for reinforcement to be effective, that is in order to increase the likelihood that a behavior will happen again, we have to have effective reinforcers, meaning things that motivate our students or we're thinking about coworkers, bosses, friends, spouses, partners, whatever, uh, because we all respond to reinforcement. And we want people to do the things that we are trying to reinforce. Uh, While there are a lot of things that may seem pretty obvious, what actually reinforces a particular student can be confusing and for some of our students hard to figure out. I've often heard teachers say, well, there is nothing that reinforces them or it worked for a while and then it stopped. And this may be particularly true about individuals with autism spectrum disorders and other significant disabilities. So a preference assessment allows us to determine what kinds of items, activities, et cetera, is going to motivate our students. Our guest discussing this topic is Maria Garcia. Maria, would you please introduce yourself? Hello. My name is Maria Garcia. I am a teacher in a special education classroom. I teach grades three through five. Um, and this is my third year of teaching, but I've also been working as a volunteer and a substitute teacher prior to that with um, the autism spectrum disorder population. So I invited Maria to talk with us about preference assessments because she actually has some experience using them and she has some really interesting thoughts about how they should be used and, of course, the practical experience in actually uh, doing them and using them. So, um, Maria, let's start off. What did I miss in my summary of preference assessments? Well, I do think that uh, sometimes, uh, perhaps more often than we care to admit, that there is a general misunderstanding about what reinforcement means and what a reinforcer is. Um, it's not a thing so much as a relationship based on, on motivation. That really is an interesting point. I mean, thinking about motivation, because without motivation, you can't uh, identify a reinforcer. So tell me more about what you're thinking about uh, motivation. So um, in terms of a reinforcer not being a thing, I think there tends to be a, uh, uh, an idea that it's something that's, that's fun or preferred, but it's not based on what we think um, the offer is preferred. It's based on what the person receiving it finds. Is it motivating to them? Is it a, something that they want, that they desire? Um, so it's about their motivation, not our intention. So can you kind of give me an example of what you're thinking in um, terms there- of that? 
So, for example, I think a lot of times, especially people who may not use reinforcement or use it in terms of as a tool, um, they tend to think things are like, well, if the student works, I'll give them a cookie afterwards. But it's really not about a cookie, especially if the individual doesn't like cookies. So um, it's really about understanding what that person uh, prefers what they're motivated by. It may not be things. It may not be very typical things. So it's about what really grabs their interest. It's your personal motivation. And it isn't something that's necessarily positive or negative. It's just something that's preferred, if that makes sense. That does uh, make perfect perfect sense. And so you, I, I mentioned uh, uh, um, when I was introducing this that I hear teachers saying, well, it works for a while or there's nothing that reinforces them or it worked for a while and then it stopped. So how often actually are you thinking about uh, what motivates and how often are you conducting a preference assessment? And, and let's kind of um, separate a formal preference assessment and discuss what that is versus uh, you know, other kinds of ways that you can gauge motivation throughout the day? So um, I think one thing to understand is that reinforcement uh, as, a, as a relationship uh, to things and to work is occurring and happening all the time for everybody throughout the day. It's, it's what keeps us going on um, what we do throughout the day. So the idea of when reinforcement is occurring is something that we may not think about if things are going well, but if things aren't going well or we can't predict or understand what we're seeing, which often happens with students with autism and other um, significant disabilities, we have to really stop and think about what is it that I'm missing? What is their motivation? How can I help tap into that motivation to be able to sort of um, develop a relationship with them by understanding their relationship to the things that they prefer? So it occurs throughout the day. We may do formal assessments, um, especially when we first get to know a student at the beginning of the year and do another one at the you know, semester time after a long break. But really reinforcement, um, since it is occurring all the time, we need to do preference assessments all of the time, whether it's on a daily basis or throughout the day, um, depending on how well things are working for us. Well, that's, that's really interesting. So, and uh, I mean, if it's occurring, you know, daily, uh, you can think about how things, uh, a variety of things might be a preference, like, uh, or motivating, like, uh, you know, I might go to work in the morning in order to, you know, make my paycheck at the end of the pay period. But throughout that day, there's also a number of other things that might motivate me to do a variety of things, right? Yes, and I think that we also tend to um, forget as, as individuals who have control over most of the things in our lives that we make choices throughout the day, the clothes that we wear, the food that we eat, the things that we drink, um, those types of things, and they are not the same. I mean, we don't wear the same clothes every day. We don't eat the same breakfast every day, generally. Um, some people do, and that's their choice as well. So understanding how preference works for an individual and having that variety and having that opportunity to make choices um, is, is really important. Well, I, you know, I really like the way that you said that because it also really um, increases our uh, sensitivity to the individuality and the personhood of some of the individuals that we work with in remembering that they don't have uh, the variety of choices that we may or may not think of as motivating, but choice is really highly motivating. Is, is that correct? Is that what you found with your students? 
Definitely. And, and having those choices and understanding that if you, if you aren't given a true choice, it really isn't a choice. Um, and some of the things that um, students like and are reinforcing for them, they're motivated by, it, it kind of speaks to that question you were talking about earlier of uh, people saying that, you know, there's nothing that reinforces them or something that they provided work for a while and then it stopped. Well, our tastes change, but also sometimes because the what is motivating for an individual may not look typical. We don't see it. We don't recognize it. Therefore, we don't. We miss it when we're looking for it. Which is why part of a big part of uh, preference assessments is really just taking the time and getting in the habit of just observing. What do they uh, look for? What do they gravitate towards? Uh, did you offer them different choices? I've had students who. I would not have thought of, but I got in the habit of, of offering very atypical things at such as like at snack time or at uh, free time and things that they may be motivated by things like band-aids or garbanzo beans or um, squid, things you wouldn't normally put out in a third to fifth grade classroom. So you just don't know until you've offered something and a variety of things. Yeah, that it. Those are those are great examples. I cannot imagine a family sending in squid at snack time, but you never know. You um, so, uh, talk to me a little bit more about um, uh, in, in what would what would you say to that teacher who says, "Well, there's really nothing that reinforces them." What would what would your answer to that question be, or that I, I, statement? I have been there myself, so I, I recognize that statement, but I also recognize that part of why I'm saying that is because I haven't, I haven't either observed long enough, I haven't presented the right um, things, or I think there's also the issue of if, a, if students are not presented with opportunities and not um, allowed to what I refer to as shop the environment, to actually uh, get it into the room and look at different things and feel free to try new things, they they don't try. And they sort of uh, sit in their chair and sort of not make choices because choices have, the, the, the routine of making choices hasn't been offered to them. So I think it's a matter of having, taking a little bit of risk, um, but also being responsible in that and also giving many, many opportunities for an individual to try new things. It can't be a very limited environment. We can't ask students to um, have a shopping spray in a convenience store. We need a, a regular store where there's lots of different variety, the same way everybody else does to sort of determine what their, what their tastes are. And again, those tastes are not always typical. That is a really interesting point. And, and I know that you and I have talked about this as well, is that sometimes, particularly kids with autism spectrum disorders, uh, they sort of wait for uh, the uh, prompt or the cue. And so, you know, when you are present them with a bunch of things, they may not um, readily access them until they're given a prompt that it's okay to do so. Permission. And, right, a, a permission or, or, yeah, or a prompt. And uh, so that, that is really an interesting point. So when you talk about shopping the environment, tell me, you know, what that looks like both, say, at the beginning of the year and then maybe uh, throughout the day. 
So, I mean, granted, things have changed a little bit now because of the restrictions for social distancing and COVID. But in general, you'd want to have a fairly rich environment that and the way you can set it up is obviously you can have things out so that you can also remove them and they're not uh, constantly in the environment so that you do have some sort of, of control over them later as reinforcers. But to have a rich environment of a, a, a wide variety of books, a wide variety of toys, some very atypical things. Um, sometimes I've just let students, especially who aren't very um, forthcoming in their communication, I'll teach them that when I say, show me, I will follow you. Go go to where you want to go. And yes, if it means crossing, you know, the stop line um, here, you can look at me for, you know, for permission or the prompt to say, yes, you are free to go past this line. Show me what it is that you want. And that's some of that risk I was talking about because you're not sure what it is. But again, that's that's also I found out a student liked Band-Aids. She also liked and knew where the sewing kit was in the classroom. And uh, she couldn't stand holes in her in anybody's clothes so that if she saw them, they had to be patched um, type of thing. But I would not have known that if I just didn't let her show me. Um, so it's really kind of um, allowing and, and seeding the environment. Sometimes it can be contrived. Um, sometimes it can be naturalistic in just what you usually have. But other times you have to kind of remind yourself to uh, wonder just as you would with any other individual. Hmm, I wonder if they'd like this and not limit it because of any type of uh, disability type. Preference isn't based on disability or non-disability. It's, it's experience with an item. And until they get that experience, we really don't know what, what people prefer. That's, that's a really good point. I just hearing you talk, I was remembering that I had a student uh, that he was always in trouble because he would shred his socks uh, you know, just, just pull apart the acrylic socks. And uh, that was like one of the best reinforcers that we ever thought of for that student was to go to, you know, the thrift store and buy a bunch of socks that he could just shred as a reinforcer. And I, I think you and I have also known kids who like to shred paper or uh, do other kinds of things that, you know, may be considered a little unusual, as you mentioned, in order uh, to um, be reinforced, that those things are very reinforcing. Yeah, they, um, they, yeah, they really like those things. I mean, it may seem very atypical. And I think that also people get hung up on on the idea of what may be considered appropriate or inappropriate. But um, what we're using that for in terms of a motivating and a reinforcing meant for work, that's a whole different uh, social question that that doesn't need to come into play just yet. Right. And um, I think, I mean, your experience is primarily with younger students, although you certainly do know a lot about older students as well. Uh, so the, that issue of, you know, judging, <laughs> deciding good or bad around a person's preferences is an interesting one. Yeah, I mean, we all have guilty pleasures, but we all develop routines on, on where we do those things. So those are those are really great answers. And would you pretty much give the same response to the teacher said the teacher that says it worked for a while and then it stopped? I, I would hope um, and expect that something some things should stop working because their repertoire of the things that they have choices about grows and therefore it isn't just Skittles 180 days out of the school year. Um, they found something new and different that they like. Our taste changes, we grow. So I would hope that um, 
things uh, do stop, but at the same time, it would be uh, prudent to have a wide variety of things so that you not the whole work routine doesn't stop just because one reinforcer stopped. You you should have a, a pretty good um, sizable uh, uh, amount of choices to pick from. That's the whole point of having that depth of variety. And and how do you respond? Because I, I know, again, we've talked about this. How do you respond when the teacher says, well, really, the only thing he cares about are the electronics or the iPad? Um, I think that there's also, uh, there should be an idea that those types of things are delivery systems for content. And look at the content. Is it because they want to watch um, a particular uh, TV cartoon all day? Is there something about that cartoon that you can look at? Uh, is it the colors? Is it the way they're drawn? Is it the characters? Is it the story? So there's actually probably could be a lot to mine there to look through and determine if there's something that you can find out of that that you can use as a motivator. Uh, the iPads and the tablets and things and electronics, they're, they're highly motivating because they provide uh, very rich content and, and they also are easily controlled by the individual. They can stop, repeat, pause, they have control. So the idea of it's, it's not about the box, it's about the routine around the box and how do we sort of either break into that routine or adapt it to our use or uh, again, look at the content to see if it's something that we can provide for them. Maybe they just want a picture of that show to remind them that they get it at a, at a different time. Um, so I think that uh, if you're always going to that, you're sort of missing out on a lot of opportunities to not only give a variety of reinforcers and motivation, but you're also cutting yourself out of that social relationship that you can build with that individual. Well, those are really great points and, and uh, reminding me of a student I had that we uh, made a video, uh, just a short clip of a game show routine. And that student, you know, just really loved to watch that. And it was like a 30 second clip. So it was easy to provide that as a reinforcer. And then I just I remember another student who uh, really liked to watch the credits. I mean, he wasn't really yeah. interested in the movie, but liked to watch the credits roll by. So those are some interesting things that, you know, many of our students with autism spectrum disorders uh, can be reinforced by um, some interesting things as, as, you know, we are too, as, as uh, <laughs> typically, typically functioning adults. Right. Um, so it, uh, that, that really is a very interesting conversation, Maria, and I appreciate you talking to me about motivation and the way that you kind of uh, get an idea of uh, preferences. Um, I want to shift gears a little, and if you have some more to say about that, I really want to hear it. Uh, but in the meantime, uh, we'll just kind of shift gears a little and talk a little bit about formal preference assessments because I know that you've used a formal preference assessments. Um, and so if you'd give us a brief idea of the kind of preference assessments you've used, and then, you know, because we're talking to busy classroom teachers, uh, help us to think about what's the easiest and what is the most effective. Um, well, uh, it's my understanding there's there's sort of the big three kinds of preference assessments. There's sort of the more formal systematic ones where you are uh, providing choices to an individual and you're checking to see what they pick and what they don't pick and sort of ordering them in uh, how they choose them as to what's their favorite or least favorite. But in order to do those, you also need to have a pretty good guess of what you're going to provide to them in that sort of limited menu. And I have done those with, especially with students who I had no clue about what I could kind of 
of see, but just sort of uh, starting with different uh, random sets of things to, to sort of get an idea. And, and a lot of it also is just to, am I paying attention? Uh, type of thing. So there are the formal preference systematic assessments. There's also the typical um, uh, families in special education may be familiar with at the beginning of the year and part of your packet, you get a checklist to say, what is your student like or not like in terms of a getting to know them? A lot of times those are um, heavily formatted for things that are typical in terms of food, uh, TV shows, music, uh, preferred toys, those types of things. And then they'll have the, the box for other. So I think that sometimes that whole idea of understanding and paying attention, what may be atypical is sort of missed in those assessments. Um, but then there's always the, if you are uh, appropriately collaborating with your families, they're having continuous conversations about the student and what they like, what were they interested in, what did they do over the weekend, and you pick those up and you kind of save those away to see if there's something that you can uh, not just use as a tool for reinforcement, but also again to build that social relationship with them and have a conversation. Preference assessments are particularly important if you're talking about students who are less verbal, who are less expressive. So then you also want to be uh, developing their um, communication with you to be able to actually someday tell you, this is what I want, this is what I like, and to get them comfortable with doing that. But in general, the easiest and most effective for me in the classroom is really based on observation and getting staff and the whole team to be observant and pay attention to what a student gravitates towards, um, what they're naturally interested in. Again, allowing those times to shop the environment during free time or providing different things for snack, what are they bringing from home, um, and to contrive things to, to put some different and new things in their way um, so that they kind of trip over them and see do they when they make contact with them, do they actually like them or not? So um, yeah, it's about it's a really a lot about changing your own behavior to be very observant, observant, and and give opportunities, and and you do that on a daily basis. So that pretty much is what you were talking about when you talked about shop the environment. Is uh, you can do that in a formal or an informal way? Is that what you were talking about? Yeah, more formal ways where you would sit down and and formally present something uh, to somebody and allow them to interact with it for a while and to see if, if it's something they're interested in or not and also compare it to other things. Um, if it's something that's sort of just in the environment or uh, choosing the sort of examples uh, that are sort of typical in classrooms is there's there may be a period of time where there's videos at the end of the day and you have your typical repertoire, but you throw something new in or you ask from the family, what are they watching? at home and seeing, okay, if that one student likes it, maybe the other three like it or don't like it. And you also teach a very uh, simple, uh, at least in my classroom, we do a simple thumbs up, thumbs down. Did you like it? Thumbs up. Did you not like it? Thumbs down. Okay, so now I know. So uh, basic uh, responses and, and trying to get those responses again to have the ability to make choices and also make those true choices. Because I've also had situations where family have told me, um, the, the student may say, what, what's your favorite fruit? And they say pear and the, and the family's like, no, 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 you, your favorite is apples. Well, is that appropriate or not appropriate to sort of uh, dismiss what they choose for themselves and whether it's true or not is, is maybe not as important as having the opportunity to still pick that in the future. Uh, that's really interesting. And then how do you use that idea of uh, motivation and how that changes throughout the day uh, when you're doing a more formal preference assessment, how do you kind of uh, operate with that? 
So you try to set up throughout the day where you do a check in the morning. Um, again, you may present typical things and also an atypical item for, uh, you know, what are you going to work for? And you have, you do have choice boards and things like that for things that are, that are known. And, but as you go through the day, things change and you offer different things and, and you're also allowing students to change their mind. Um, if they see something else that they'd rather like and they, they gravitate towards it and again, at this point, we've hoped we've developed a trusting relationship with them so they feel free to reach for something else and not the thing that they picked earlier, then we honor that choice. It's about honoring choices and having and respecting those choices for them. So you may have uh, very uh, set times throughout the day. Okay, staff, we're going to do a preference check in the morning. We're going to do an after lunch after they're already full and may not be interested in food anymore because now we're switching to activities or music or other types of things. And then at the end of the day, um, sort of, you know, before we leave for, for videos and other types of activities, you're doing a different site kind of uh, preference assessment, sort of a checkout kind of a thing. So uh, again, a lot of these things you may not be thinking as a teacher that are preference assessments because now they've built into your routine, but you should also remember that that's what they're there for is to help keep the motivation going throughout the day. That's great. And, and certainly communication is going to be more likely if there's uh, things that are really motivating as well and, and not just what the, what the student is used to. How do you, because you, you had mentioned that there's, you know, the families often have a you know, fairly fixed idea of what their students are, um, prefer. And we're talking here primarily about uh, kids who have less verbal abilities, but it certainly could be true for, for kids that have more verbal abilities. Uh, how do you kind of uh, try to, to sort out what some of those unusual interests or um, uh, preferences might be? Well, it, it's kind of funny because sometimes those preferred things are what uh, a family or other staff may identify as actually the behavior problem is that the student, all they want to do is touch the pipes when they go out to recess or when they're in, in the cafeteria, they have to get up and go touch the pipes in, in around the room. Well, there is somewhat of a, a problem behavior around that because we haven't established a routine on letting him be able to touch the pipes um, type of thing. Uh, so understanding that a lot of times some of those really atypical things are, are the things that may frustrate a family or frustrate staff because they can't control it. But at the same time, if you understand what that is and develop routines around it, that's when you can sort of start shaping it into a reinforcer because now you're developing a relationship with it that you have some input in and that uh, the student also can have requests for. So uh, some of those are picked up by listening to when things are not going right and also observing yourself, if things aren't going right for yourself, what is it that student is, is desiring? What is their preference? And again, it goes back to a motivation doesn't necessarily have to be, I think uh, that the typical idea of motivation tends to be something like a motivational poster, something that's very sweet and happy and cheerful, but that's not truly what motivation is. It's a desire, it's a preference. And, and that comes before we make choices and before choices become formal. So watching, um, watching and observing for things that seem strange or you can't quite figure out often leads to a, an atypical motivation, an atypical reinforcer. And you kind of have to be able to, again, allowing a little bit of that risk to following it through to see what is it, what, is, what am I seeing here? What's going on? Um, and 
but yeah, families will usually have a, a, a background list of, of things that happen in their home that they may not really want to talk about. Again, similar to us typical adults that we have guilty pleasures that we really don't want to talk about, um, but we uh, they're still there and they're not shameful. It's just not something we share. They're kind of private. So we kind of have to have, again, a very trusting, collaborative relationship with our families and be willing to talk about things throughout the day with other staff to find out what's going on. And I really like what the idea, you know, as listening to you, the idea is almost like you're taking something that might be uh, considered a behavior problem, like touching the pipes or watching the hinges or shredding your socks or whatever, uh, might be assumed that that's a behavior problem. But you're talking about sort of switching the perspective on that and using that thing as a reinforcer or a motivator. Is that correct? Yeah. And I, I think it is kind of into that sort of idea that it's not a behavior problem. It's a behavior difference. It's, uh, it's not it may not be typical if we had, um, if we were somebody who had um, typical and well-respected, they might call us eccentric, you know, so it, it kind of depends. But when it's something that, that doesn't fit into somebody else's idea of what's appropriate, it does seem problematic. But if we can kind of just respect where we can, we're obviously not talking about anything that would harm themselves or others or can be dangerous or those types of things. But if it's something that is really doable, how can we use it in a way that makes it, again, how can we set up a routine around it that makes it a guilty pleasure? Um, that, okay, this is when you do that and uh, where you do it and, and it's okay. Uh, you may not be shredding your socks in the middle of a store, but, you know, at home after you've uh, gone shopping with mom and you uh, need a place to sit down and just de-stress, maybe you can shred a sock, you know, and mom can provide you some that are cheap from a thrift store, as you said. H how do we build a routine around that to make it acceptable for everyone? So uh, let's go back to your, your friend that liked to uh, touch the pipes as he went outside. Um, what kinds of, how would you use that as a reinforcer for a, um, something, a skill or an uh, activity that you were trying to build? Um, well, when we first recognized it, it was a description uh, from previous staff and uh, mom of elopement. And we sort of allowed the student to move around for a little bit and recognize that he's not eloping. There's a pipe over there, a structural pipe that he needs to go touch and then come back. And again, allowing that little bit of a risk to sort of build a routine around it. And then it became a matter of if you do this work, we can go take a, a trip to uh, that place and you can go touch the pipe and then we can come back. He also, we also learned that he was satisfied with taking pictures of pipes uh, type of thing. So we'd allow him to have an iPad to take pictures of the pipes. And then later on, since that was something that was a bit more static, then, okay, after your work, you can look at your pictures of the pipes, those types of things. And it did morph into other things. And so he kind of became uh, interested in taking pictures of a variety of things. Or uh, So it, it gave us a way to structure those types of activities to, to be able to do in, uh, in between work sessions. Wow. And I love the way that you expanded that desire to take pictures of pipes. Uh, into beginning to take pictures of other things, which actually is a very functional skill and, you know, could lead to a lot of uh, different possibilities for that student. That, that's really great.
And, and it made it helpful with the family because it was like, what is he taking pictures of now? And they could, if they didn't know, they could look through his iPad and see. So it was a bit more static and easier to, you know, identify. And um, I also really liked the idea of reframing the elopement is he really was not running away. Uh, he was not eloping in order to escape. He was eloping in order to get access to something. Yeah, and um, he, was, he was going to do something. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I'm just, you know, thinking about all the kids that I know of that, you know, have said, oh, there's elopement. Well, now I'm now I'm beginning to think, well, where are they eloping to? That's really a, an excellent it, point. It did take three of us, you know, sta stationed around him so that he couldn't get anywhere unsafe. But we allowed him that opportunity to figure out what it was going on. And then we talked to mom to say, this is what we're seeing. This is what we observed. Can you can you help us with some information on what we're seeing? So, yeah. Yeah, that that is that's really uh, interesting. And and in the long term, it takes, you know, some time and effort to figure it out. But in the short term, uh, you kind of saved yourself a whole lot of uh, anxiety around why is he loping and how can we get him to stop and all of those kinds of things when um, escape or elope escape was really not the motivation at all, which, you know, kind of points out that you need to know the function of a particular behavior before you decide that it's, uh, you know, something that you're going to try to, to change uh, in different ways, or are you going to just use it a little bit differently? I'm so glad that you brought that up. Um, so we did, we talked about, you know, sort of the formalized preference assessments in terms of shopping the environment. And, and that certainly is, uh, you've given teachers a lot of great ideas for uh, how to structure their, their classrooms uh, and, and their um, like snack time and activities to take advantage of that. Um, I know there, we've talked about a couple of other formal assessments. Have you, have you used any of the other formal assessments that are maybe a little more difficult and that our listeners might want to ask the school team for help with if they uh, decide to use them? Yeah, I've, I've not often, uh, two or three times I've used them because again, uh, watching and throughout the day and, and doing a lot of uh, collaboration uh, tends to do the trick for me. But there have been times when we're, we're just not sure. And we do the, the formal, um, I apologize, I probably don't have my terms correct uh, right now. But where you, uh, for example, you say, I have a, a 10 items that I'm going to present to this individual. And I'm going to, there's there's two different ways you can do it. You can present all 10 and start uh, rating them based on what do they pick first? What do they pick second? What do they pick third? And you kind of rank them that way in terms of, you know, the idea of what's your favorite. If you went into a, an ice cream store, if the first one you picks, we're going to assume that that's your favorite flavor um, type of thing. There's also ways to present them in uh, a binary choice where there's just two things so they aren't overwhelmed and they can pick between the two. And then you can either replace the item with another item or switch them out again to try to rank the 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 items that you've presented. Uh, the difficulty with that is in terms of a formal assessment is you are talking about items more often than uh, things like activities or other types of atypical things. So you kind of have to have a good idea of what you're going to present to them and um, uh, what sort of classes of items is it? Uh, we had one uh, assessment that I did with a, a, a young 
a student who was very much interested in art and different things. So we basically presented her with different types of office supplies. Um, and we did find out that there were certain types of office supplies that she really liked. <laughs> and we put those things in her communication book to, for her to be able to request. And again, it was a matter of, she kept getting out of her chair and going to something, but um, she wasn't clear about where those things were kept. So she couldn't show us. Um, so that was a, a more formal assessment that we, we were able to do with her and probably wouldn't have uh, figured out with her just shopping the environment because we had no idea of, of what the particular things were. So those formal assessments, it would be, and we did it in, in a, a, a way from other individuals and it was just uh, the staff and her. Uh, we did it with two other individuals sort of to be clear about um, does she feel comfortable making choices with different people as well, but also just a set aside and we take data on that. There's a, a data sheet that you take and sort of just to keep track of how you present the items, the order you present them in, uh, what is she picking first? Does it matter um, if it's on the right or the left? She was a, t a person who tended to pick from the left only. Um, so we kind of tried to, to determine whether or not that was a factor as well. So formal assessments can be very helpful, but you also have to be aware of keeping track of your data, keeping track of your own behavior when you're doing those formal assessments so that you're not um, influencing them in terms of, uh, you know, reaching to the right, reaching to the left. Um, I like this item. I wish you would pick this item, that type of thing. So they, they are very helpful. They can be cumbersome. And I do think that if you haven't done them before, uh, read up on them, watch a video on them, certainly get assistance from uh, district support who, who have done them before. They, they can show you uh, how it's done, basically. But they, they shouldn't be intimidating because once you do it at least one time, you'll be like, oh, that's what you're looking for. That's what that means. I get it. Uh, right. And uh, those are some really good cautions. And um, I also like uh, formal preference assessments. And you mentioned it as well, is you can kind of get a rank ordering so that you know, you know, which um, preferences, which items or activities are really, you know, the cream of the crop and they need to be used for the hardest thing you're going to ask the student to do. You know, you need to have the woohoo reinforcer. Yeah. And I, and I I do think that tends to be uh, uh, an issue with um, in, in the classroom because you just go, you grab, you might grab the first thing. This is, oh, like, here's my bag of Skittles. And that's, but is that a, your, is that your high or your low? Um, because once you kind of um, go through what I refer to as the big guns, you don't really have a lot left in your repertoire to fall back on. So um, you have to be sort of aware of what you save for those really difficult tasks or those new tasks or when the student is having, um, uh, high anxiety over new tasks, not that you want to always pair it that way, but uh, you, you, need to, you need to have things in reserve. Right, and that also really uh, kind of points out the, the limitations of a, um, a, a, a food reinforcer, uh, because, you know, there are, you know, there are some woohoo food reinforcers for all of us, but it really does depend on our level of hunger and, you know, whether we had, you know, a bunch of that woohoo food reinforcer at home or whether it's going to be available to us in the next five minutes, regardless of what we do or we don't. So uh, that's another thing in terms of preferences. We have to be aware of what's readily available and what's not. Um, do you have anything to add about that? 
Yeah, so uh, generally in, in conversations with, with families, and again, we're doing those checklists and those types of things and also talking about what they like, we may come to an agreement about which ones are provided at home and which ones are provided at school. Or if I say they had a great day, when they get home, they get this particular uh, reinforcer uh, snack after school because they had a great day, those types of things. So we'll kind of come to an agreement over who gives what, if they're particularly um, strong reinforcers. Uh, so that we aren't, um, I know the word satiated, but basically filling them up and, and getting them used to it at a certain time during the day. And the students really do learn those routines fairly quickly. Um, they, they code switch. They know what mom and dad and grandma and aunt gives them. And they know what teacher and EA and speech therapist kind of give them what's available in, in different environments and for different tasks. Uh, yeah, that's very true. And, and I know I have talked with families because, you know, there are kids that are, as you, we talked about, highly reinforced by an iPad or a computer. But the fact is, if they have unlimited access to that once they get home, it's, you know, there's not going to be a lot of motivation to uh, uh, work at school for those kinds of things. So, uh, yeah, that, that really is an important point, too. Um, you have really helped us understand uh, preference assessment. You've really made it very interesting. Is there anything else that you would like to add uh, as we are thinking about preference assessments or uh, talking about motivation for students, particularly those that are a little bit harder to motivate? Um, I, I, you know, I, I think it really is just sort of trying to uh, remind people that uh, just because people can't express what they like, I mean, it's easy if with students you say, what do you, what do you like? And, and they, a lot of students can rattle off 10 different things. For students who we are having difficulty and, and are saying those questions of, you know, nothing's reinforcing, there's always something. Um, and the amount of personal motivation that you get when you connect with a student like that should keep you going to keep trying. There's always something that they, they like, they desire, no matter your disability, no matter the extent of your disability, there are things that you like and don't like. And there are things that make you genuinely joyful and happy. And to have those opportunities at school, when we are asking them to, to, uh, to work <laughs> and be on task demand, uh, just like other students, but with, with um, in, in some ways more demanding circumstances because they aren't motivated by the typical social routines of school. It's really important to sort of take those risks and, uh, but also be respectful of atypical choices. Uh, it's there, the motivation's there. We just need to be able to be patient and, and watch for it, it they're there. Wow, that's just such a great point. And, and remembering that, you know, for all of us, uh, there is something out there that motivates us, even on our worst pandemic days. And yes. it really is an important thing to keep in mind. Uh, Maria, I really appreciate you talking with us about this. And I think you've uh, given the teachers an, a lot to uh, think about. And I so much appreciate you taking the time to uh, talk with me this afternoon. Thank you for asking me.